What is up, Town pals? Live from the Barefoot is Legal studio in Washington, D.C., this is District Sentinel Radio Live. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. Coming. Sorry. Sorry, I jumped you. Coming oh, yeah, up on the, got show. the show. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. We're Jinx. Jinx. Are we saying each other's lines again? Coming up on the show, will the next president decide to look forward and not backward like Obama did on Bush administration torture? They will likely have the opportunity. We bring news on the latest U.S. military torture scandal. Yes, we do. Deja vu all over again. (laughs) And then after that, we've got Medea Benjamin on the show, the uh, co-founder of Code Pink, who likely holds the record for the most times getting tossed out of congressional hearings or getting arrested by Capitol Police. I don't think anyone comes close. We ask her about her latest attempt to arrest John Bolton and just how serious she thinks the White House is about going to war in Venezuela. Spoiler alert, John Bolton is still a free man, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, We'll also be reading particularly shitty emails in our inbox and throwing particularly shitty people in the garbage can at the end of the show. Ralph Northam, Pod Save America guys, Howard Schultz, you have all been put on notice but first, uh, I guess we should start with last night's State of the Union. Sam, I know you watched it because you did an admirable job live tweeting it from the Sentinel account. I did not watch it. I actually fell asleep halfway through it, uh, just like Joshua Trump did. The uh, the kid who was bullied for his last name got an invite to the State of the Union over it. Um, yeah, I, f- I fell the fuck asleep. I kept waiting for Joshua Trump to come up in the speech, but... He never he never came up. He, he really never came up. He never came up. It's <laughs> that, not that's uh, pointless. It's uh it it's it's appropriate that it put you to sleep uh, well, because the state of the union is boring. Yeah. And I think there was hope or well, <laughs> maybe hope is the wrong word. There were expectations uh during Trump's first state of the union that he would uh go off the teleprompter as it were, but he doesn't do that for these big speeches. So it, it was like every other State of the Union. It was a snooze fest. Uh, it was a circle jerk with a lot of stupid standing ovations and a lot of vapid word salads about how great America is. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I don't drink that much. I had one drink last night and immediately <laughs> fell asleep afterward. That was the culprit in my sleepiness. But uh, yeah, I missed. Uh, I guess I missed the response. Uh, and, well, I guess everybody missed the response because Bernie overshadowed everything. Bernie did overshadow. Well, oh, that was I, I thought you were talking about his uh, his glare after Trump said America will never be a socialist uh, country. But you you were you were jokingly referring to uh, the liberal freak out that yeah. Bernie was doing his thing when Stacey Abrams uh, did her thing. I'm guessing that didn't really happen. I'm guessing that Stacey Abrams wasn't upstaged. Her response was carried uh, everywhere. People I, watched it. I I am the I, I am the type that one might expect would watch. Bernie and not Stacey Abrams, but I watched Stacey Abrams and not Bernie. Uh, so I mean, Ber- we knew Bernie, what we were going to yeah. get with Bernie. We, <laughs> everyone knows, yeah. We, uh, it's Bernie, pretty much the same yeah, stuff. It's the same each stump year. speech. It's the same lines. We get it. Still an oligarchy. Very true. Everything he's saying is still very true. I just don't necessarily need to hear it uh, over and over again. I think Stacey Abrams did a sort of admirable job. I just can never get too excited about her because she 
uh, you know, says stuff about how like how how much patriotism she has, and uh, praised Reagan at one point during her speech. Yeah, I I mean. I think the obsession over Stacey Abrams is a little strong considering that she's a pretty standard Democrat in her ideology and her policy positions. Um, I, what was it? I saw that dipshit. Uh, Who's was the guy who hosts uh, Dead Pundit Society? Adam Proctor oh, called her a grifter or something, which I oh, wouldn't God. go that far. Jesus. But yeah, t- the bad takes all, all, all around over there. But yeah, I mean, here we have a pretty standard Democrat. Um, but yeah, I, I, from what I heard, I guess she did a decent job. That's a pretty, the job of responding to the State of the Union is a pretty awful job. What? It's yeah. always awkward. And she she definitely did not, like, uh, you know, she, she was not the typical uh, fucking ghost of a human being that they get, that they drag up there. Uh, to try to appeal to the 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 moderate conservative that just doesn't exist. Yeah, uh, it does seem to exist in the House Democratic Caucus because, as we were talking about later with Medea, some of them were standing up and applauding the dumbest, uh, most vacuous, awful shit. Yeah, uh, some of them, John Tester standing right up in front of Bernie to stand to give a standing O to the. Uh, America will never be a socialist country thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Manchin standing Joe, up uh, talking about uh, how inter- U.S. Coal. is a coal exporter. Uh, uh, like, well, oil and gas exporter, yeah, too. Like, we're destroying the planet. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean... Then there's all those dumb platitudes that Trump start that all these State of the Union start yeah. off with that are just meaningless words strung together. <laughs> Which are even more meaningless when Trump says it because yeah. he was talking about bipartisanship and all this and that and it was disgusting, especially coming from him because of right. government shutdown, for example. By now, you should just know that anything that Trump says that you might agree with in there that might compel you to want to clap is disingenuous at best. Just don't stand up. Like, no reason to even stand up at these things. The best thing was when Adam Schiff was very solemnly uh, giving a standing ovation to some, so just one of the most fucking vapid platitudes about America. And he just had this, like, solemn look on his face and he was standing up and clapping it. And then five minutes later, Trump called the Russia investigation a fraud. <laughs> And the look on his face was just like it, it, the color vanished from his face, which is like, what do you expect? Why are you even here? You know, he's going to do this shit like that. But yeah. anyway, I I have to say one more thing about the socialist country thing, which uh, who was it? Was it Oscar Wilde? who said better to be talked about uh, than not to be talked about or whatever. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, nailed it. Uh, yeah, obviously I nailed it. But. Yeah, what's that? Come at us. They're they're coming at us. They're scared for a reason. Clearly. Clearly. Trump's just not going to name drop socialism in his speech unless he's scared. And yeah, actually, he just says all sorts of things. But this was written into the speech for a reason. Mostly when Republicans try to fear monger about socialism, they're they're actually talking about some shitty liberal tax break uh, that they just oppose because it's not directed toward one of their donors. But this time, (laughs) this time... Uh, moving on all right, should we move on let's cancel the state of the union for next year uh let's move on uh nearby virginia we did an interview uh, all about the situation in virginia uh yesterday we released that uh for free on patreon um and over on our soundcloud where we uh release all our free content by the way we also release tons of subscriber content at uh patreon.com slash district sentinel 
Five bucks a month, you get access to that bonus content. Plus, you get your own haiku written and read on the show. We're going to read some haiku later on in today's program for all the new subscribers. But go ahead and check out our, our interview um, that we did yesterday on Northam because it's the situation's now gotten a lot worse in Virginia. Yeah. Um, the lieutenant governor, first off, Northam's not resigning yet. <laughs> the lieutenant governor, who would be next in line if Northam did resign, Justin Fairfax uh, has a pretty credible sexual assault allegation that's been lodged against him. Uh, the uh, the person making the allegation came forward today. Uh, there was ne- also reporting that he, in private, came out to attack uh, yeah. the the, uh, the 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 woman making the allegations in a, in a pretty disgusting, uh, misogynistic sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. And next in line, behind Fairfax, in the line of succession to be the governor of Virginia, is Virginia's Attorney General Mark Herring. And Herring admitted today that he, too, has a blackface scandal. And (laughs) really, he might be the one who comes out of this the best out of all three of this, which really uh, speaks to what a shitty situation it is in Virginia right now. Uh, Herring admitted that when he was 19, he dressed up as rapper Curtis Blow at a college party uh, that uh, included the face paint. Herring apologized, said, quote, the conduct clearly showed that as a young man, I had a callous and inexcusable lack of awareness and insensitivity to the pain my behavior could inflict on others, end quote. Uh, At least he's admitting to it. Northam uh, won't admit to it, the picture of him uh, in blackface in his yearbook or either him in the KKK garb. Um, he did voluntarily admit to, of course, dressing up like Michael Jackson. <laughs> so he definitely uh, has admitted to something that he should apologize for. Did he apologize for that? I can't. The, the, the press conference, there was so much going on in the press conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like... obviously we're not condoning any of this behavior. It's all abhorrent behavior. And uh, it certainly reflects deep racism in our society still. Um, But I think there is a slight difference in what Herring did as a teenager dressing up uh, as a as a rapper at a party to perform some skit and making the really dumb decision to paint your face versus what Northam was doing as an adult posing in blackface alongside someone in a KKK outfit and him still not fessing up to it. I think there's a slight difference. Not that it's good or, or you know, that much better. I don't want to use those terms, but I think there is a difference in uh, degrees of awfulness. What do you think? It, it does. It 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 seems. It does seem that. I'm way. not going to defend any of these clowns, but I, I guess here I, we have yeah. three people, and one of them's got to be governor of Virginia, or or I guess the fourth in line is some Republican head of the assembly there who won on a coin toss or something to get his position. It's just Virginia not looking great at the moment. It's uh, it's it's really looking grim. I mean, I I definitely still feel like Northam has to go because yes the way he's handled himself since the uh since it became public is is just been very disgraceful i think you can definitely uh draw a distinction there so 
anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on this and, uh, and I'm sure we'll have more to say on this yeah. in the coming days and coming weeks. Yeah, uh, I forgot to, to to mention this. What was up, by the way, with uh, everybody's talking about Nancy Pelosi clap back uh, to Trump the other night. Um, let, me, let me just pull up a clip of this. You're trying to pull it up here. The uh, <clears throat> This was... Uh, the, what I, is with that clap? I... Why does she clap like that? And why do people want to draw attention to her clapping like that? What line was that after again? I mean, I, not that it really matters. It's probably about some bipartisan bullshit. <laughs> it, it, she's standing and applauding. Like she doesn't, she doesn't look like, she doesn't look like Wilfried Zaha about to get <laughs> sent off for sarcastically <laughs> applauding the referee. <laughs> she does. She looks like, she look. She just looks like she's part of the charade, and and people want to make it look like it's just an epic demeaning of Trump. I watch that, and I mean, I guess I don't even know if if her clapping is that awkward. It is pretty awkward. It just it the, the different like the difference between the reality of the clap and the way people are treating this sounds like a curb bit right now <laughs> we're getting into curb your enthusiasm territory here there there's a reality gap <laughs> between anyway it's it's just bizarre what people fixate on on social media i guess big news as we were walking into the studio uh, well, first, there was news broken last night that Senator Amy Klobuchar will announce Sunday that she's going to run for president or form some committee to run for president. She's, she's going to make an announcement about her future. I'm guessing that means that, she's running for president. Uh, and and we, then as we were walking into the studio today. Yeah, we were we were already going to talk about that uh, that particular story and news broke not right as we were walking in, but pretty close to right as we were walking in. Uh, basically, the Huffington Post reported that, well, let's just say this. It gets us one step closer to the uh, Klobuchar compromise envelope. That's right. Shall I get it? Yeah, why don't you get it? Why don't you get it? I'm, we're not going to open it yet, but you might as well get it. This is, uh, we created this Klobuchar compromise envelope. Uh, was it about a month ago? I I, uh, I guess so. This is the debut of District Sentinel Radio Live. So yeah, was, early January. Yeah, it was early January. Uh, it's not to be opened. Let me uh, let me bring up the camera. Not to be opened until the Klobuchar campaign collapses. <laughs> so considering that the campaign hasn't started yet, uh, it hasn't collapsed yet. So we're not going to open it yet. But there is some new reporting we should highlight. Basically, Huffington Post reports that three people have withdrawn from consideration to run Klobuchar's campaign, specifically uh, because of concerns over mistreatment of staff. And uh, the story gives some pretty tasty anecdotes, none uh, matching what what might or may not be in this envelope. I'm but not, they're adjacent. I, I, <laughs> I was just about to say, uh, maybe the scandal has, maybe what's in the envelope has nothing to do with staff, but he, I blew it. He sort of fucked the goat on that one. The uh, so the anecdotes in the story are pretty good, though. 
uh, pretty good. I mean, pretty bad, just to be clear. Uh, abusing abusing underlings is never good. It's really fucked up. And there's there's uh, anecdotes of Klobuchar basically dressing down individual staffers via email where she allegedly CC'd the entire office to uh, create a digital public humiliation. Mm. Not not how Huffington Post described it. That that's a SK one original. <laughs> then uh, a, a a staffer in a different Hill office told the Huffington Post that they they were applied for a position in Klobuchar's office, uh, but they lost interest. Quote. When a current staffer, the one conducting the interview, conveyed that avoiding Klobuchar's anger was a significant part of the job. (laughs) Then there's this, which just makes it sound fucking hellish. This uh, reading directly from this here. Quote, one morning several years ago. When most of the office staff was running late, the ex-staffer couldn't remember the reason, Klobuchar wrote out tardy slips and placed them on each missing Mm. aide's desk. (laughs) This sounds like a nightmare story that you'd hear on Street Fight Radio. The staffer recalls incredulous bursts of laughter as her co-workers arrived one by one to find the notes. Who wouldn't laugh at that? <laughs> like, come on, get the fuck out of here. But Klobuchar was deadly serious. An aide whom she called into her office walked back out in tears. Well, I'll just say that those are all bad. But what we have in the Klobuchar compromise envelope is significantly worse. And if we get to the point <laughs> where we open it, y'all will know what I'm talking about. It's bad. It's bad. But we're not opening yet because the campaign hasn't started. No, it hasn't even started. Uh, I but guess there are murmurs. Th- there's a caveat here. I guess if the, if the campaign never even actually starts, I, do we have to burn the envelope? Because the campaign has to collapse. It becomes official that the campaign will not start because it would collapse if it immediately started over certain allegations. We'll open it on air and we'll read it anyways. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, All right, uh, let's see. What else? uh, There's some other big news today on Capitol Hill, wasn't there? Well, uh, yes, today slash yesterday, there could be a second major inquiry into U.S. involvement in torture in as many decades. The leader of U.S. troops in the Middle East gave a non-denial denial when asked yesterday about being complicit in abusive interrogations during ongoing operations. General Joseph Vodal did not deny that close allies from the United Arab Emirates are torturing detainees captured during the ongoing war in Yemen, a brutal near-genocidal operation being led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Here's Vodal responding to questioning from Elizabeth Warren. The senator asked about a Pentagon report which absolved the U.S. military of responsibility. This clip runs a little long, but I think its newsworthiness merits playing. Uh, we principally uh, derive that based on uh, discussions and reports from the people that we do have on the ground and what they have seen. We obviously take this very seriously, uh, Senator, and, and our individuals that are in, in, in positions where they might see some of this are under the obligation to report this. Uh, and I, I, I do routinely uh, receive reports, many of them unsubstantiated, uh, and not just linked to, uh, to Yemen, but to other areas in which we operate where there have been 
our people have received a report of abuse and we have a reporting mechanism for that and so we do take that okay. extraordinarily serious but this report says uh, neither observed nor been complicit in any cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment. The Associated Press, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, and the United Nations all conducted their own investigations and came to a very different conclusion. They determined that our Emirati partners oversaw a network of detention centers that regularly engaged in torture and other abuse. Now, does DOD find these independent investigations credible? Well, we certainly take all of these uh, independent investigations uh, seriously, uh, Senator. But, but I think what 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 I'm saying to you is that we have no observations of our own from our people that have actually seen this. Fair enough. So the Pentagon has investigated itself. Guess what? It's innocent. <laughs> Based on uh, what the Pentagon has seen, the Pentagon has taken a look at what Pentagon officials have seen, and even higher up Pentagon officials uh, have concluded that, guess what, the U.S. not complicit in Emirati torture in a uh, brutal campaign of just atrocity after atrocity mm. in Yemen. Didn't see that result coming. in by uh, famine. I don't know. Maybe some congressional subpoenas are in order. This probably wouldn't be happening, though, if uh, President Obama did not decide to, quote, look forward, uh, not backward, on Bush administration torture. Senator Warren also asked Vodal yesterday about a December report in the New York Times on how the U.S. military official, excuse me, on how U.S. military officials have been tracking civilian casualties in Yemen that are specifically tied to U.S. military aid. Warren had asked Vodal about such a database last year. Vodal said it didn't exist. Yesterday, he equivocated, saying, quote, today we do have a database that does have that information, and we have the ability to see that. I wonder if federal prosecutors would be able to slap him with lying to Congress charges. But well, only after the Pentagon investigates the issue first. <laughs> Pentagon has cleared Vodal of uh, of lying lying to Congress. I don't know. It's possible that maybe this database just existed somewhere and he didn't know about it, and it wasn't like he was trying to um, trying to uh, 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 intentionally deceive anyone, but. You got to feel that uh, politically unpopular people, i.e. not a high-ranking U.S. military general, don't get that uh, luxury. No. They, they, if if, if an overzealous prosecutor wants to smack you with that lying to Congress charge, you're going to get it. I'm not saying that the, the Mueller thing is a witch hunt. I'm just saying that. <laughs> anyway, in good news today, the House did advance legislation that would end U.S. involvement in Yemen, in the war in Yemen, the Foreign Affairs Committee voted along party lines 25-17 in favor of the joint resolution. Similar legislation, we should note, was passed late last year by the full Senate. So uh, we could perhaps see a showdown here between Congress and the White House over Yemen. But let's see how Senate Republicans vote now that this thing actually has a chance of being sent to the president. I have a feeling you will find... A lot of Republicans who easily get their arms twisted on this, and especially with weeks since the Khashoggi killing, Jamal Khashoggi killing scandal, and uh, that was occupying a lot of attention in Washington for a while. I could see 
some uh, slimy Republicans easily changing their vote without thinking twice about it. Yeah, and this resolution should have already passed. It should have passed last year when it was initially brought up. Yeah, it should have passed the House. Yeah, the, the House the House Rules Committee tried to uh, sabotage it, and then Democrats didn't even whip votes uh, to ensure that it passed, and a lot of uh, right. Democrats ended up supporting some rule on some unrelated matter. Uh, I think it was the farm bill or something. It was the farm bill. Oh, God. So here we go again, and yeah, we'll see if uh, we'll see what Senate Republicans do now that, as Sam mentioned, it actually has a chance to pass, well, I'm or sure at least go to the president's desk, who probably will not support it. I'm guessing will veto it. I'm sure Mitch McConnell will handle this matter uh, responsibly and with the with the usual moral fortitude that he. Uh, takes to legislating absolutely 100 percent. okay moving on to economic news unless things drastically change don't expect any of us to be able to retire at a reasonable age in the future the government accountability office dropped a dire report today about the state of the u.s retirement system it's in bad shape folks whether you're looking at the state of social security which unless the contribution cap is raised so that rich people pay their fair share This report says that it won't be able to pay out full benefits in 2034, but that's only part of the story. Another pillar of retirement traditionally was employer pensions. Unfortunately, the boss has ruined those so that more and more of them are defined contribution plans where money is invested in a 401k or something for later instead of traditional defined benefit plans where once you retired, you got a fixed payment each month. This graphic i'm showing now shows the transition the uh prevalence of more defined contribution plans known as dc plans gao notes that quote while dc plans defined contribution plans can provide meaningful retirement security for many especially higher earners lower earners appear more prone to having little or no savings in their direct contribution accounts of course that is by design. Also, one-third of U.S. private sector workers don't even have access to an employer-sponsored retirement plan. GAO also looked into the third pillar of retirement, personal savings, and found that they, too, are increasingly non-existent. Mainly, uh, the the personal savings rate has trended downward over the last 50 years. GAO, GAO cited the obvious low wage growth, massive wealth inequality, and the rising prices of things like healthcare costs. Taking all of this into account, actually, millennials are spending too much money on avocado toast, and that is internate slapping in the buttons Jesus on the microwave. Christ, Nate, I'm trying to do hear. a podcast here. Nate, we're podcasting. Anyways, as you can see in this chart, U.S. personal savings rate is plummeting over the last 50 years, and uh, taking all this into account, GAO is urging. Congress to convene a commission to clarify exactly what the goal is of the U.S. retirement system. I think that's pretty smart because we should define what a goal is because I think if you ask a lot of dipshits in Congress, there is none. Who cares if people can't retire? Yeah, I mean, that isn't that what they're basically saying with the we've got folks, we've got an entitlements crisis. We got to we got to tighten our belts and cut down our obligations yeah the problem is capitalism is incompatible with a dignified retirement and we're doing all these ad hoc add-ons so that we're at least having some semblance of security in old age and we just keep duct taping them all together trying desperately to avoid the obvious solution which is dismantling capitalism 
until we get there, at least let's tax the rich so we can buy more damn duct tape. What else do we have here? Okay, <laughs> we have another Inspector General report. This is coming out of the U.S. State Department, which it turns out is extremely online, just like us. From the State Department IG, quote, We received allegations that four ambassadors were using their personal social media accounts in violation of department policy. Ooh. OIG reviewed the personal social media accounts of these four ambassadors and confirmed that all had posted about matters of department concern. End quote. Posting about matters of department concern is not allowed. Did they... Did they Matt Brunig them? <laughs> no, they did not. Apparently, well, if they had posted about Nira Tandon, they yeah. probably would have been fired. In yeah, if they would have called Nira a scumbag. They would have been gone. Um, yeah, this appears to be a bit of a widespread problem. GAO added that, quote, of the 138 officials, OIG was able to locate personal Twitter accounts of 37 ambassadors. Of those 37 <laughs> ambassadors, 20 posted original content that related to issues that were clearly of departmental concern was there a footnote that said like did the ambassadors admit to having alt accounts uh no these were their accounts these were their personal official accounts oh and uh one ambassador was frequently using their personal twitter account to support sanctions against iran and encourage corporations to not do business with Iran. Hmm. Uh, another ambassador posted on a personal Twitter account criticism of Russia for failing to support an investigation into the use of chemical weapons by the Syrian government. And an ambassador used a personal Twitter account to condemn corruption in the ambassador's host nation. I mean, we often joke about Trump doing diplomacy by tweet, tweet although I think most nations that deal with Trump by now just have learned to ignore his Twitter account. <laughs> um, but U.S. ambassadors are actually doing diplomacy uh, by tweet, the inspector general recommended that State Department updated social media policy guidance and include case-specific examples of what not to tweet, and uh, the department concurred. Uh, I don't know. I'm not too concerned by this. I think this is probably just, like, it's 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 becoming increasingly harder to to not conduct official business over social media as social media grows in prominence. Yeah, I... I uh the the I don't really have a problem I don't think with the process of of what they've done this seems like the least bad thing the trumpet I mean the con- the content of the tweets are bad like yeah uh, most of them are bad like trying to isolate Iran yeah we're team Iran so yeah we disagree with the content uh, you know uh, uh using a personal Twitter account to condemn corruption in the in the host nation that's that's not very diplomatic. Like, yeah, the country might be corrupt, but I mean, come on, you represent the U.S. Like, this this is the country that let bankers get away uh, with with some of the biggest crimes <laughs> in the history of numbers, really. And uh, it, it, so, I I don't know. I mean, the State Department does some pretty deceptive shit, by uh, which evidently is okay. Things like uh uh like trying to send journalists foreign journalists on junkets to get to get good coverage and things like that i think it's far more interesting when u.s officials are using twitter in violation of twitter's rules of service like our president does regularly in issuing threats and stuff yeah and spreading complete disinformation Uh, yeah well twitter doesn't really care about that no they don't (laughs) but 
Um, yeah, this this is like or the Hatch what, Act of violations it, where yeah, yeah. Know, people, you just get a slap on the wrist, move on. Or when uh, Marco Rubio tried to uh, whip up a mob against the Salt Bay because he uh, <laughs> yeah he when he docks the Salt Bay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll get to our interview here with Medea Benjamin in just a second. But first, a little segment we call From the Inbox. You have a big one this week, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is a dark one. Um, among the many emails we receive each day are pitches for us to interview people like authors of new books. And <laughs> the author that came in uh, the inbox today, the title of their book was, quote, Eugenics, Euthanasia, Infanticide, and the Lord's Work. I'm guessing it's a kid's book. Uh, it's by some anesthesiologist named oh, uh, Marilyn Singleton, and it includes a preview of the book, quote, The day erecting a barrier to stop drug and human trafficking is considered immoral, and killing viable live babies is celebrated, is the day some Americans tossed morality into the abyss. What do you think? Should we uh, should we get the good doctor on the show here, Sam Knight? Uh, it, yeah, yeah, we should. Uh, and for a segment we call the Garbage Abyss. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! All right, that was from Marilyn Singleton. Retire, please. Please, please, please retire. The drumbeat to war in Venezuela is growing louder. And the same regime change architects are at the helm in the White House, namely John Bolton, one of Washington, D.C.'s most notorious ghouls. Earlier, we chatted with one of Washington's most notorious anti-war activists, someone who is a longtime foe of Mr. John Bolton, talking about Medea Benjamin, the co-founder of the anti-war group Code Pink. Here's that interview. So, Medea, first off, what were you doing outside John Bolton's house yesterday? We were trying to serve him with papers to be indicted for war crimes and sent to The Hague to be tried at the International Criminal Court. <laughs> and how did that go? <laughs> well, um, it went well. <laughs> no, we, we didn't quite get to do what... Uh, to serve him the papers, but um, we did get a give him a wake up call because he was there, and uh, there were not only his security that he gets from, I suppose, the State Department, but then they called lots and lots of police cars and police and made a scene, and um, we're sure that he knew we were there and saw our impersonator. We had somebody that looked just like him. And we had lots of good signs. Yeah, I'm showing the uh, picture right now to our viewers of the gang there and the John Bolton lookalike uh, that was amongst you all. Um, this obviously isn't your first run-in with John Bolton. This is a this is a guy that uh, you have been protesting his policies for quite a long time. Are you surprised that this monster won't go away? Here's a guy that should have been thoroughly discredited for what he did during the Bush years. Um, and here he is in a position of power again, saber-rattling again. Does that surprise you, or does the persistence of the foreign policy blob in the U.S. not surprise you anymore? 
It totally surprises me. I guess and uh, when you get down to it, I really am naive because I think, you know, guys like him, no way is he going to come back onto the scene. Um, I look at Elliot Abrams and I say, no way is he going to come back on the scene. These guys have just, you know, they've shown how... Um, uh, how awful their policies are, and nobody's going to want them back in any kind of position of power, and there they are again. We see them uh, sort of conniving, uh, scheming uh, with regards to Venezuela. We saw the um, the uh, glimpse, a photographer got a glimpse of, of John Bolton's notepad, of course, where he had written a note that said 5,000 troops to Colombia, uh, and in some ways, when I saw that, I thought, well, at least that's a relief because the U.S. can't really invade a country with just five thousand troops. But still, there is some uh, there's some serious uh, uh, militaristic planning going on, especially with U.S. allies in the region. Thinking about Colombia, uh, the uh, President Duque there, and and Bolsonaro, the uh, militarist basically fascist uh, praise of the uh, supporter of the dictatorship there uh, from the from the uh, Cold War era in Brazil. Anyway, how concerned are you about Venezuela right now? Uh, we did see the 5,000 number on Bolton's pad, but um, what does that tell you? And, and are you just generally, how does this compare with the buildup to other disasters that you uh, you've seen in your time uh, in activism? I'm very concerned about it because I feel like uh, the U.S. has, well, the Trump administration has these economic screws on Venezuela at a time when Venezuela is already really vulnerable from an economic crisis and withholding billions of dollars that belong to the government of Venezuela uh, is really a criminal act, and also the way that they are creating this parallel government and trying to divide the military. So, um, and then a full-scale um, offensive in on the international front, trying to convince other countries to go along with it. It was interesting today. We had a meeting with um, a member of the German Parliament, the Bundestag. And we said to him, you know, why is Europe being so compliant around uh, Venezuela? And he says, you know, Trump is giving such such a hard time on so many issues. It's almost like we we uh, uh, we threw him a bone on this one to say, all right, you know, Venezuela is not all that important to us. We'll just uh, go along with them on this one. Um, wow, so that's like a worst Canada nightmare answer. <laughs> Yeah, horrible. I mean, he didn't agree with it, but he's saying he guessed this is this is why Germany is um, being compliant. So it, it's um, it's very worrisome. You talk about the five thousand uh, troops scribbled on John Bolton's notepad. I find that very shocking to think that there would be contemplation of sending U.S. troops uh, is just uh, amazing to me given that Venezuela poses absolutely no threat to the United States at all. So, yes, I find it scary. I find it shocking. And I also find that it's really hard in our Congress to get uh, um, people 
to speak out against, even just against the U.S. invasion, let alone the economic sanctions that are so crippling to the Venezuelan economy and the Venezuelan people. That's right. When um, it, 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 it certainly doesn't inspire confidence that last night during the State of the Union, uh, when President Trump brought up Venezuela and uh, basically hailing his his efforts to uh, uh, stage a coup there. A lot of Democrats seem to stand up and applaud him there. Well, that's right. Absolutely. And there is a bill that um, Congressman David Cicilline from Rhode Island has introduced just about an hour ago uh, that is very... Uh, harsh language about what a horrible dictator uh, Maduro is and all of these terrible things that he's done, but we shouldn't invade the country because uh, Trump does not have the right to do that without congressional approval. And uh, so far, there's only 21 Congress people who are co-sponsoring that piece of legislation. So it's very hard. We've been walking the halls of Congress uh, since this crisis really got um, uh, er erupted with the creation of the parallel government. And we find that the narrative is so much um, what the mainstream media is saying and what the administration is, is saying that uh, Democrats are scared to stand up and say, wait a minute, this is a coup. Uh, we don't support it. We've seen throughout history the United States does not necessarily need to send thousands of troops to South America uh, to do lasting harm to South American countries, uh, thinking most notably of uh, the CIA support of Augusto Pinochet in Chile and the coup that led to his, uh, what, what was it, 15 years long dictatorship, 20 years long dictatorship. I don't want to get too much into... Uh, conspiracy theorizing here, but what kind of role do you expect us to find the CIA having in the uh, instability in Venezuela in decades down the road when, when some of the records are declassified, assuming that they ever are? Well, I would say from the time of um, the first... Uh, administration of Chavez when he came to power, um, the U.S. has been sending in the CIA trying to figure out how to get rid of this guy. Um, the U.S. was always opposed to him and wanted to overthrow his government like they tried to do in 2002 when the U.S. was very supportive of the coup attempt there. And eager to recognize uh, the coup uh, leader. So I would think that the CIA has been involved now since 1998 to figure out how we're going to get rid of this socialist government. And they have been doing a lot of damage and working with the opposition and doing a lot of economic sabotage that together with the government's mismanagement and corruption and uh, the drop in the price of oil and add on to that now the economic sanctions has really been devastating for the Venezuelan people. Medea, one of the... But I, I, would just, I, I just want to say, I think it is part of a, an effort to, quote, prove that socialism doesn't work. And with the 
Trump administration looking to wind down some of the U.S. involvement in the Middle East. They uh, are are certainly looking at Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba, the troika of tyranny, as John Bolton says, as their targets. Yeah, there's definitely an ideological component at work. I mean, just the way that the people who, I mean, Bolsonaro, the way he talks about socialists, the way Trump has talked about socialism just last night uh, during a State of the Union, which received a lot of (laughs) applause also from Democrats. Well, Um, there will never be socialism in this country. <laughs> never, never. And then they panned over to Bernie Sanders, who I think has, oh, I'm sure has a higher uh, approval rating in this country than Trump does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Socialism itself has a higher approval rating right now. Yeah. Um, one of the admirable things about Code Pink is its consistency. Uh, you guys are out there protesting uh, Republicans and Democrats. You were just as active during the Obama administration uh, protesting uh, U.S. interventionism, as you are uh, during the Trump administration, and that's because there isn't much daylight between the two parties when it comes to intervention in U.S. foreign policy, in aggressive U.S. foreign policy. Uh, you see think tanks uh, scattered all around this town. You have n- very aggressive neocon think tanks that are pushing out papers on destabilizing Venezuela and Iran and things like that. And then you have more liberal think tanks that are, are all in support of sanctions and maybe launching targeted cruise missile strikes and things like that. But there isn't really an infrastructure, an ideological infrastructure that's churning out papers or anything that seems to align with your organization's goal, uh, a peace movement, um, a hardline anti-U.S. interventionist movement. Why do you think that is, besides, I guess, the obvious of of war profiteers run this town? <laughs> Yeah, when you think of the power and the money that the military, industrial, congressional, blah, 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 add what you want, security complex has, uh, it is really overwhelming. We were in some hearings today, and we go to the Armed Services Committee hearings, and we were in the Foreign Affairs Committee hearings, and you just see the power of the status quo, meaning that this town is run by militarized interests. And there are some good think tanks. There's Institute for Policy Studies. There's the Center for Economic and Political Rights. Uh, There's some liberal ones that put out some decent stuff from time to time. But um, where is the power? The power is uh, in these um, organizations, companies, the weapons manufacturers, the lobbyists for the weapons manufacturers. Uh, They really uh, have such a grip on our country's foreign policy that it's hard to make a dent in it. You know, we did make a dent when uh, when Obama was in power, and even though you say we were protesting him, which we were, and the policies are pretty much the same, there was a breakthrough around Iran, and that was a real uh, important achievement. And um, you saw how the Israeli lobby put money into defeating that, how the Saudis were trying to defeat it. And in the end, it they weren't able to do that. So, you know, those kind of things give hope that when you really organize, um, you can defeat those big moneyed interests. Uh, unfortunately, Trump came in and turned the whole thing around again. But I think we do have to take heart and say there are times, uh, like also under Obama, when he threatened the 
line in the sand around Syria and was going to uh, go in directly. And there was a lot of mobilizing of left and right, I must say. It was a, quite a interesting coalition just like the coalition now to defeat the, uh, to stop the U.S. support for the uh, Saudi war in Yemen is an effort that is uh, somewhat a left-right coalition as well. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you think that uh, you see a breakthrough coming there, obviously not from the White House, but uh, from Congress uh, up where we saw the Sanders resolution advance. And just today we had Ro Khanna's resolution ending U.S. involvement in uh, the Yemen conflict uh, advance out of committee as well. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the freshman class of Democrats, progressive Democrats? Uh, we saw Ilan Omar speak out uh, pretty aggressively against U.S. intervention in uh, Venezuela. Um, her tweet was retweeted by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We haven't seen, uh, I guess, a direct statement from her. Um, do, you, does, do, you, do you think that there is a sort of change within the Democratic Party with these new freshman lawmakers in how they interact with U.S. foreign policy? Uh, absolutely. It is so refreshing. I mean, I'm pretty hard-nosed, uh, and I cried today seeing Ilan Omar in the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, when it came came her turn to ask questions, and um, having that, uh, the as you mentioned, the Roe bill around the U.S. support for the Saudi war in Yemen, having that debated in a way that we never get debates, uh, where actually the Congress people from both sides of the aisle are talking to each other and debating each other, it was really heartwarming, and that's because uh, the Democrats are in power now. Uh, mind you, there, there are a lot of hawkish Democrats, including the chairperson of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, Elliot Engels, who is very uh, hawkish. Um, but he allowed for a real debate to happen. Uh, so, uh, and some of the freshmen, even the ones that are not particularly radical, Tom Malinowski, for example, was excellent. Uh, with, uh, uh, another freshman who I was really worried about because she's former CIA, she was very good. So I think um, there's a it, it's a a new wave of um, people who are willing to go against the establishment. Uh, they are. Um, also people who have a following, as you know, through social media, uh, that even though they, they get attacked so much on social media, they're also uh, shored up. And we, for example, are in Congress now all the time. And, and I was so cynical before, I would, it would be hard to drag myself in. We're, we're there every day now. And going to their offices is almost like um, like you're at home base if you're playing tag or something, you know, oh, well, let's stop at Ilan Omar's office. We know we can <laughs> relax there, put our feet up. She says, you're always welcome in my office. So it is very nice. Yeah, it probably also speaks to just how untenable the situation is becoming in places like Yemen and how U.S. foreign policy seems to be failing all over the place that it's, it becomes necessary that these people are being elected into office, or I guess a natural consequence. I don't know. I think foreign policy, unfortunately, plays a very little role in our elections here. People don't consider foreign policy a very um, 
major concern of theirs until there's something like a big war. Uh, but I do think that once they're in, um, that they can have an influence. I mean, just the fact Rashida Tlaib said, I'm not going on the APAC-sponsored trip to Israel, and Ilan Omar said the same thing. I mean, that sent shockwaves through Congress because Every freshman is supposed to go on those APAC trips to Israel to see uh, the right-wing Israeli government view of the situation. So a couple of people can really shake up tradition. Speaking of which, we saw the uh, the latest anti-BDS bill just pass the Senate on the fourth try. Uh, it didn't go through during the shutdown, but... Uh, Republicans were able to get enough Democratic support for this legislation, which basically says that it's okay for states to ban contractors who support uh, the BDS movement, boycott divestment sanctions of Israel in solidarity with Palestinians. Anyway, uh, my the point is, having spent some time on the House side and uh, getting a view of the... Um, the freshman House Democrats and, and, and their view on foreign policy, are you a little less optimistic about their ability to stand up to this uh, this anti-BDS legislation? Absolutely. In fact, we spent our afternoon going over to the Senate side to go into the offices of people who ought to know better because there were quite a number of Democrats who voted for this. We went to... Uh, to Markey's office from from Massachusetts and said, what the hell are you thinking of? Uh, Ron Wyden, uh, Angus King, uh, Lowenthal, people who should, who are known to be more, um, you know, First Amendment kind of Democrats, and they are voting for this terrible piece of legislation. So, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely not as inspiring over on the side. Medea, it's been uh, great talking with you. Before we let you go, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, and and maybe there was an intervening time that this has happened, but it was a few weeks ago you were uh, at the uh, Organization of American States protesting Mike Pompeo's speech on Venezuela and were were dragged out of the room by security. Uh, You are frequently dragged out of rooms on Capitol Hill uh, by Capitol Police for... um, interrupting war mongers and people uh, working in the administration, generals, you name it. I was curious if you've ever kept a tally or kept count on how many times you've been uh, either uh, dragged out of a committee hearing or arrested by Capitol Police. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I I don't even know the number of times I've been arrested. It's been a lot of times, I can tell you. And then, uh, fortunately, there's a lot of times you get dragged out, but they don't want to press charges. So that's, uh, uh, I like that a lot better. That was what happened at the OAS, for example. And we also went into, uh, have been to some of these think tanks where they've had the parallel government representatives of Wang Guaido speaking, and we get up and, and speak out in those as well. So, uh, and they don't want to press charges either because it's just more publicity for us. So I, I don't know the number of times, but I know that I do it often because uh, I think that we have so little power on the left and that these are really desperate moves. I mean, if we had a way to really influence policy, I wouldn't be screwed. 
so it's not a good sign. It's actually a bad sign uh, that we feel we have to do these kind of desperate measures. But I would say until we have uh, hundreds of... Uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and Ilan Omar's and Rashida Tlaib's in our Congress, or somebody in the White House like uh, Bernie Sanders, um, we're unfortunately going to be on the uh, more fringe side of things, and that means we have to get up and speak out whenever we can. Hell, and even then, we uh, might have to scream at President Bernie Sanders one day. <laughs> Well, yeah, and there's plenty of things around Bernie Sanders I'd scream at now. <laughs> Definitely, F-35, yeah. Taking $350,000 from the weapons industry. So, yes, you are, you are right. But maybe then we wouldn't have to scream. Maybe we could just have a meeting. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, Medea, you are a fighter, and it's good to have you on our side. Before we let you go, uh, if people want to find out more information uh, about the activism you're involved in and Code Pink and stuff, where can they go? Well, they can go online to CodePink.org and sign up for our alerts. But I would also say that the stuff we're doing in Congress is really fun. I mean, it's exciting to be in the halls of Congress these days. And we encourage people to come and join us, even if it's on a lunch hour or it's a day off or you play hooky one day or whatever. Uh, so you can get in touch. You can write to me, Medea, at CodePink.org and say, hey, I have uh, a couple of hours one day. How can I join you? Come and do it. You might get really um, enthused and inspired by it. Yeah, we would definitely encourage students to skip school to get thrown out of a congressional hearing with Medea Benjamin. They will yeah. learn a lot more. I assure you, they will learn a lot more. <laughs> so much more. <laughs> you can also we'll take care of them. We'll make sure they don't get arrested. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can also follow Medea on Twitter at Medea Benjamin. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, my pleasure. Bye bye. And we are back live. From Pistown, where intern Nate is fighting with the stove. Can't uh, quite get the stove to work to make dinner. Uh, we've got some haikus to read in a second. I see the uh, chat room is pretty active in wanting us. What is going on, Nate? It, it, it never started. <laughs> All right, we, we don't need to be explaining this in the yeah. middle of our show. Anyways, well, I'm sure everybody can hear the fucking beeping going on nonstop out of the kitchen right now. Anyways. Back to the chat. Kevin. Chat room, everybody wants us to get the good doctor on the show. <laughs> What's going on? We're not getting the doctor. The doctor is not coming on the show. <laughs> Please, tell me about your book, Eugenics, Euthanasia, Infanticide, and the Lord's Work. What inspired the title? We're not getting the Christian white nationalist, uh, or probably this person doesn't identify as a white nationalist, but uh, basically agrees with, uh, I don't know, like 85% of it. Uh, Kevin also commented on my tracksuit. Kevin says, SK's tracksuit is signaling to his FSB handlers that the sicko Bernie bro campaign to discredit <laughs> Howard Schultz is underway. Uh, true. And uh, FSB handlers, you can Venmo me when, because uh, this thing is underway. <laughs> Just Venmo me. Uh, let's see here. Eliza said that the problem is capitalism. Pretty much uh, can begin any, any sentence with that. We had uh, some commentary on the uh, Amy Klobuchar story. Nicole says, uh, the thing about 
having to avoid Klobuchar's anger, isn't that significant part of most jobs, a.k.a. avoiding your boss's dumb anxieties? True. However, and I didn't say this before, I've said this on, on previous shows, metadata, the data show that uh, Klobuchar has the highest rate of turnover, staff turnover in the Senate. It's not even close. Yeah. There is hard data to back up this story uh, as Huffington Post also cited that story too. Chat room asking us to give intern Nate a swirly. <laughs> no. Maybe. Maybe. After the show. Then we have, uh, did I see something about Marco Rubio on there? Christian says, God, Marco is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Should we read some poetry? Yeah, why not? This is the time in the show where we thank all the new subscribers over on uh, Patreon. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Five bucks a month. You get access to all the bonus content we have out there comes out on a pretty much a daily basis we're releasing stuff over on patreon and you also get your own poem a haiku read on the show this one is for aaron keep saying never u.s never socialist as we take your land thank you aaron inshallah this one goes out to kaylin Trump is resigning, forced out by Speaker Nancy Pelosi's seal clap. Thank you, Kaylin. <laughs> yes, thank you, Kaylin. And thank you to all the new subscribers over on Patreon. Again, that is patreon.com slash district sentinel. Well, we've done it. We've reached the end of the show. And uh, it's been quite a week, quite a week for trash accumulation. Oh, yeah. Some absolute shitlords in the lineup this week. Intern Nate, why don't you make yourself useful? Intern, bring the can. Turn it up. Oh, there it is. There, there it is. Oh, Here oh, it comes. Oh, careful, careful. Oh. Bring it in. Oh, oh, wow. Bring it in. Wow. A lot of, uh, a lot of seafood parts mm. from the... From the house cooking this week. Yikes! Including uh, internate salmon. There's a lot of a lot of salmon-related refuse there from <sighs> from internate. Yeah. Uh, thank you for adding to the garbage there, internate with the salmon. <laughs> Should make it a spicy one this week, a pungent one. Anyway, let's move on to garbage candidate number one, Ralph Northam. Chances are you've seen Northam's train wreck of a press conference from Saturday. The guy came this close to trying to moonwalk his way out of a blackface scandal. Thanks a lot to his wife for not letting it happen, by the way. <laughs> when the headline is Governor's Wife Stops Moonwalk at Michael Jackson Blackface Press Conference, chances are it's time to resign. Especially when you have a record of immig immigrant bashing, environmental racism, and being wishy-washy on Confederate statues, as Northam does. He still hasn't resigned. He might not, the shameless bastard. Either way, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam is nominated this week for the garbage can. Garbage candidate number two, Liam Neeson. 
The actor sat down for a routine interview about an upcoming film, and when asked about how he prepared for his role, Neeson told a jaw-dropping story about a time in his life when he was a homicidal racist, or at least tried to be one. Neeson recalled a time when a friend of his was raped, and since the perpetrator was allegedly a black man, Neeson admitted that he, quote, went up and down areas with a kosh, which I guess is like some stick or like a club, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that, and I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard could come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. Mm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm. So I guess Liam in real life isn't so different from his character in those Taken films, except instead of justifiably seeking out kidnappers, he was just a raging racist looking to murder black people. Glad Neeson believes he is different now and feels comfortable telling that story as a cautionary tale or something, but it's going to be really hard to overlook that little episode moving forward. In fact, just to be safe that you're no longer a menace, Liam, we might have to confine you to a garbage can. You're nominated this week. Garbage candidate number three, Pod Save America dummies. The ex-Obama staffers turned podcasters gave a childlike take on for-profit health insurance. They criticized the push for single payer, pleading for people to stop attacking the poor, maligned health insurance industry. Not sure which one of them, but one of the podcast Seven Johns said this, quote, if you have good insurance that you can afford that protects you when you need it most, that gives you the option to get the preventative care that you need without bankrupting you and your family, that makes you feel safe and protected, that is the goal. Mm. That is not the goal. That is a PR word salad. No one, no one feels safe and protected by private health insurance companies. Private health insurance is a scam and access will not improve that. The goal is to make healthcare a human right, not slightly improving the shitty, failing consumer health insurance market. By the way, this was something the Pod Save America dweebs already tried when they worked at the White House. Obamacare was supposed to make private insurance affordable. It was supposed to make all these things. It was supposed to make you feel safe and, and protected and it won't bankrupt you. All it did was force people to buy plans that provide crappy coverage and no bankruptcy protection. It was a major gift to the health insurance industry. Pod Save America and its 15 Johns are trying to carry water for the industry yet again. All 15 of those Johns are nominated for the garbage can. Good. Garbage candidate number four, Wendell Primus. That guy. He's Nancy Pelosi's top health policy aide, and he's working very hard behind the scenes to sabotage single-payer health care. In early December last year, a month after progressives helped Democrats reclaim the House majority by running on things like Medicare for All, and a few weeks after progressives who sponsored Medicare for All legislation threw their support behind Nancy Pelosi in a contentious speaker race, after all of that, The Intercept reported that Wendell Primus met with health insurance executives at Blue Cross Blue Shield and told them not to worry about single payer. Medicare for All, Primus assured these executives doesn't have the support of leadership. He added that it's not going to go anywhere. He even bashed the policy, claiming that uh, this was his uh, little slideshow here. He claimed that it creates winners and losers and that it costs too much and that stakeholders are against it and that monies are needed for other priorities and that there are implementation challenges. All pretty much bullshit. To the folks who think Pelosi is an ally to progressives, this should be a betrayal. 
to people like me and Sam who've known for a while that the speaker who once proudly proclaimed we are capitalists and gave Trump a standing ovation in his attack against socialism last night and rarely offends moneyed interests will tell us this isn't a surprise at all. But it's always good to catch these saboteurs in the act and put a name on them. So this week, Wendell Primus, you're nominated for the garbage can. Stick to having the same last name as a cool jam band, Wendell Primus. <laughs> you remember that band, Primus? Primus, yes. Funky bass lines. <laughs> Indeed. Are they, they're not a jam band. Are, Alt new metal is what intern Nate says. He knows more about music than me. Uh, he also knows more about fucking up the oven than me. <laughs> Moving on to Garbage Canada. And, and fucking up podcasts. And fucking up podcasts. Uh, hey, intern Nate was great on the show. And if he wants to come in front of the camera and show everyone his antics rather than just barging in uh, obtrusive, uh, intrusive, intrusively, excuse me. All right. Uh, uh, rather than getting continuing to get flustered over internate i think i will continue to yeah we've lost your mouth cam the battery has died i believe the battery on has phone. died on the mouth cam sorry garbage candidate number five howard schultz schultz's presidential campaign is a pretty huge boon for socialists with him being the caricature of a sociopath billionaire and all but that also means he's churning out vapid takes at a industrial rate <laughs> like when he was asked recently if he thought billionaires have too much influence in america schultz took exception to the term billionaire and referred to people of means and people of wealth as if they're a protected class he then described his vanity campaign for president like a community service gap year quote all i'm trying to do is walk in the shoes of the american people ah uh, yes just trying to be like joe Sixpack and using my billionaire status to run a pointless presidential campaign built on the premise that economic elites are actually good having a cold one with the boys <laughs> look it's good that howard schultz is around to show us what garbage billionaires are in general but that means we're gonna have to take out the trash a lot with his campaign on this week is no exception schultz you're nominated for the can finally garbage candidate number six the New England Patriots. <laughs> Are you still there, Nate? Yeah. Team MAGA would, won. Would you say we're still here? We're still here. We're still here. God, shut up. Shut up. Push oven buttons. <laughs> Is anybody else still out there that's on Team Intern Nate? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Anyways, the Patriots have been uh, nominated. This week, the MAGA team won the Super Bowl, one of the worst Super Bowls in history. So, in my opinion, they can have it. But good people across this land didn't want them to win, and they were justified in not wanting them to win. After all, Tom Brady is a weirdo who kisses his son on the lips, <laughs> which might be okay, but he also held that kiss a little too long, if you ask me. <laughs> but more importantly... Both Brady and head coach Bill Belichick are chummy with Trump. That alone should get them canceled. Unfortunately, their fans are okay looking past the team's fascist ties. Right, intern Nate? Right? Hey, McCourty twins aren't going to the White House. None of the defenses. All right, all right, all right, all right. They're all, they're all going. They're all going. <laughs> and so the Patriots are world champions again. The Perfect king for the hellscape we're living in. That doesn't mean 
We uh, shouldn't throw them in the garbage can, though. The New England Patriots are indeed nominated. And just to be clear, it's not weird. The Tom Brady kissing thing is not weird because it's his son. No. You shouldn't kiss your mouth, your kids on the mouth, yes. I don't think. And if you do, don't hold it for that long. <laughs> All right. Okay, we've got the uh, Patriots. We've got uh, who, who? Who else do we have here? Oh, Howard Schultz. We've got Wendell Primus. We've got the uh, Pod Save America dweebs. Liam Neeson. We've got Liam Neeson, and we have Ralph Ralph Northam. The votes have been counted. It was a it was a, it was a squeaker. It was a squeaker this week, but there is a clear winner. Someone's moonwalking into the can. Ralph Northam, you are going in the garbage can. Oh, there's that KKK suit already in there. Is it yours, Ralph? Is it yours? There goes. We all want to know. There goes your medical school uh, journal on skull sizes. Is that approved by the AMA? That is all there is tonight. If you like what you watched. Well, then consider subscribing over at patreon.com slash district sentinel for exclusive subscriber only newscasts, interviews, reports, live streams, five bucks a month helps support independent journalism, a news co-op here in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Also, subscribe to our SoundCloud, where we release free audio content on a near daily basis over at District Sentinel Radio. Hit subscribe on YouTube. While you're here, right up in the upper right-hand corner, go ahead and subscribe. Follow us as well on uh, Facebook. And follow us on Twitter. Just like that. Subscribers, if you subscribe tonight, you can tune in to the subscriber-only Sentinel Hangout at 420 tomorrow. Until then, we are in D.C. so that you don't have to be.